What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license? You lose your job? You total your car? You kill someone? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King Prawn Cocktail and Oak and Peat Cold Smoked Salmon are just €6. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores. Make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of €50 or more. Thomas Chan decided that it would be fun to take some magic mushrooms with his friends. When he didn't feel the effects, he ate another handful and started having a bad trip. A trip that would lead him to believe his family members were the devil. This is Monsters. Thomas Chan said, quote, The first thing you need to know about me is that I'm just totally normal. I'm a normal kid from a good family, end quote. This was the statement he had given during his interview with the Canadian publication McLean's, and he was right. 19-year-old Thomas Chan had a pretty average life, growing up in the Peterborough area of Toronto, Canada. He was the son of Andrew Chan and Rosalia Vestano and had one older sister, Christina. Andrew was a well-known gastroenterologist who had trained in nearby Kingston and started working in Peterborough about 20 years prior. Thomas had never been in trouble. He did well in school and was a star athlete who played rugby. After high school, he started attending college, taking classes to become a police officer. Eventually, Thomas's parents split up, and Andrew was dating a woman he worked with named Lynn Widavine. 
Rosalia was also dating a man named Jeff Phillips, and the parents lived just a few blocks away from each other, so co-parenting was easy. Thomas said he spent equal time between the two houses. He described his relationship with his father. He was always busy with work when I was younger. Right. A dog. Right. And it only starts slowing down when you start becoming a senior doctor. Right. So I would like to say he's always been there for me. Yeah. But he's only really had the time now. Yeah. I love him. He told the detective that he would normally go to his father's when he was upset with his mother. He had built a very good relationship with his dad and grew to also have a great relationship with Lynn. On December 27, 2015, Thomas met some friends at a sports bar to watch a hockey game. He told investigators that he had had two beers at his house before going to the bar and then had a pint of Stella while there. The group, which included six people plus Thomas, headed back to Thomas's mom's house to hang out in the basement. They decided that they wanted to do a little partying, so a few of them went out to score some magic mushrooms. Once back at the house, the boys passed around a baggie of shrooms and washed it down with beer. Over 200 species of mushrooms contain a compound called psilocybin. When ingested, it causes a mind-altering effect similar to LSD. Some of the effects can be euphoria, visual hallucinations, a distorted sense of time, and perceived spiritual experiences. It's also known to cause nausea and panic attacks. A study by psychologist Timothy Leary in the 1960s showed that people in larger groups tended to report a less pleasant experience taking psilocybin, and people who took larger doses reported feeling fear and paranoia. The effects of psilocybin can vary greatly depending on the person taking it and the environment they're in. Most of the group started to feel the effects of the shrooms, which made them feel happy and giggly. Thomas, however, was not feeling anything, so he decided to take another handful and shove them into his mouth. In an effort to increase the effects, he tried meditating. I was up in my room, alone at this point, meditating, and then I, got, I read about this thing called familial gland. Familial gland? Yeah, something like that. On my phone. And then I started seeing like bright lights and everything like that. And I've read about the familial gland before. And then I just started getting this god complex. And then everything started peaking after that. And then going down into the basement. I, th I don't know what happened in the basement of my mom's. But then, all of a sudden, I thought that... I thought my friends were... being taken over, and I wanted the lights on. Because okay. I felt like... I was, like... protecting me. And when the lights were off, I felt like... I can only assume he's talking about the pineal gland, which is a small gland in your brain that produces melatonin. It helps control sleep patterns and your circadian rhythm. It seems that the pineal gland is discussed quite a bit in meditation, and some refer to it as the third eye. Activating your pineal gland can help you gain clarity and intuition. 
so it seems like Thomas was meditating to try to heighten his psychedelic experience. This was not the first time Thomas had taken shrooms. I've, ta I've taken shrooms before. You have? And it has never been like this. How many times have you taken them? Like once or twice, yeah. And every other time it's been... It's been like a life-changing thing for me. Like, I... Before that, I was smoking weed, like, every... Every, every single day. When was that? Like, all last year. I probably smoked weed every single day for like a year and a half and it was seriously debilitating me right. and then I took shrooms and after that I totally see, saw that like I don't need to do this and I saw it as like a life-changing finding myself thing mm -hmm. and then it just turned on me this time. Either the meditation worked too well, or Thomas had taken too big of a dose, because at around 2 o'clock in the morning, his friends noticed that he was becoming agitated. Rosalia and Christina were both awoken by the commotion and tried to comfort Thomas. Rosalia would later testify that Thomas said that they were the devil before running outside in the freezing cold with no shoes or shirt on. I remember they're all my, my mom... And my sister, I remember seeing their faces, and they changed too. All I remember what I wanted, my serious trip, what really I really, really, really see is just faces. Everything else is kind of just, yeah, but I just see scary faces of my friends and family. And that's what sticks in my head. Mm -hmm. And when... They would get, when I, they would become more sinister, their faces would be, as I said, like veiny and they'd get fat. Did that happen with your mom as well? Yes, and her hair was very, very, very black and it started getting long and long. And then she just kept coming towards me and towards me. Your mom did? Yeah, trying to help, trying to help me and I know that now. Right. But it just made me scared, and I just remember their faces, and I'm pretty sure, I don't know for sure, obviously, but I'm pretty sure I called somebody the devil. Okay. And then I got scared and ran to my dad's, because I thought that he would have helped me. Rosalia, her boyfriend Jeff, and one of Thomas's friends, Soren Christensen, all got into Jeff's car and chased after the hallucinating teen. They tried again to comfort him outside of his father's house a few blocks away, but he continued to yell at them. He ended up smashing a window in Jeff's car and yelled, quote, Fuck you, you're the devil, end quote. Jeff drove away after the window was smashed because he didn't want anyone in the car to get injured, and he felt that it was time to call 911, but nobody in the car had brought a phone. Um, I'm at Haggis Drive. Right. Um, my brother is being ridiculously aggressive right now. He broke someone's car window with a rock. Okay. He took mushrooms at 8 o'clock tonight, and okay. I don't... So somebody else, broke from their, somebody else from their girls just called and said she was stabbed. Do you know anything about that? Okay. He's at my dad's house, and he's broken into the house. We're outside in a car, the, um, me and my mom. Okay. Um, I can see him through the front window, and he's sitting by the front door. I don't know if he has a weapon, but he's dangerous because he's attacked. 
Christina explained to the operator exactly what had happened. He seemed weird all evening, and about 3 o'clock, he started freaking out, like saying that he was scared, and he came up back to and was talking to my mom and got scared, called us the devil, and ran outside of my mother's house. Okay. He ran to my father's house, which is Haggis Drive. Right. And when my mom and her boyfriend went to get him, my brother took a rock and smashed her boyfriend's window car. Okay, so do you know who's all in Haggis Drive? My dad and his girlfriend are inside. Your dad and his girlfriend. Okay, we have lots of officers on the way there, okay? Okay. Okay, they'll be there momentarily. Christina was also trying to call her father and Lynn to warn them that something was wrong with Thomas, but she wasn't able to get through. Thomas didn't get an answer after knocking on the front door at his father's house, so he broke in. When you got to the house and you couldn't get in, how did you get in? Through a window. What window? How, like, how did that happen? Side of the window went in through. Sorry. Where I broke in. You broke in. Okay. So when you went into the, the house, when did you first see your dad? I don't know. It was... I came in, lights were on, and I just remember his face just turned and devilish. Same with all my closest friends, my mom even. Mm -hmm. Their faces just turned devilish, their hair started growing and turning black, and I was just so scared. He broke a window and entered the house. The noise must have woken up Dr. Chan because he came downstairs to investigate. Thomas said that his father looked like the devil and thinks that he was trying to protect the light switch. By this time, he felt like the darkness was going to harm him and that he needed the lights on. He feared that his father was going to turn the lights off. I think I was trying to protect the light switch. When? My father's. Okay, you tell me more about that? I was afraid that he was going to get the lights, I think. I don't know. I just felt this. I felt like I was acting like God, and I'm by no means religious at all. Right. But I felt like I was doing God's will or spiritual thing and he was the devil so stupid thomas got a butcher knife out of the kitchen and began stabbing his father in the chest and neck he proclaimed that he was doing god's will and that this was a house of satan lynn watched in horror as thomas stabbed his father to death before coming after her he stabbed her multiple times in the stomach and neck before she was able to get away she ran to the master bedroom where she called 911 and it's on Haggis Road, and I love Haggis, and uh, Harper Street. Yeah, I can't hear you. What did you say happened there? What? What did you say happened at 13? I'm being stabbed! Okay, what's your name? My name is Lynn, Thomas Chan, Andrew Chan. Okay, you said you were stabbed? Stabbed in the stomach, I'm stabbed in the neck. 
Okay, bye. Head right everywhere. Help, please, 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 please. Head us drive. Okay, who else is there? Hello? Hello? Thomas followed her to the bedroom and slashed her shoulder. She pleaded with him, saying, quote, Thomas, it's Lynn, I love you, end quote, but it had no effect. Thomas stabbed her directly in the right eye while she was still on the phone with 911. Oh. Hello? I just got a knife to my head. Who has a knife to your head? Oh, I'm dead. Hello? Hello. Hi, what's going on there? I just got a knife stabbed in my head. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I Okay, all right, we've got police on the way, okay? They're coming, they're almost there. Okay, they're coming. Thomas can be heard in the background of the call yelling. It's impossible to make out exactly what he's saying, but it's most likely gibberish about being God and killing the devil. Investigators tried to understand why he would kill his own father. Have you ever thought about killing your dad? Never, no. I've never thought about killing anyone. So you're saying that you did not set out to go to your dad's house to kill him? No, no, I would never do that. I went out, I set out to my dad's house to be safe, because I thought... My mom and sister and everyone was turning against me. I went there to be safe, and then I felt like he was turning on me too, and his face, and then... I don't know. It could have been anyone. I was... I, it wasn't... I wasn't setting out to do anything. I just wanted to be safe, and I did what I thought I needed to do to be safe. And I blame it solely on hallucinations and this firm belief in religion where I got that out of nowhere, really, and this thing, meditation, and I would, the meditation let me explore my head, and my head just ran off in ridiculous ways, and I felt like, I don't know how to describe it. When officers arrived on the scene, they saw a broken window and can see a man pacing back and forth inside the house with a knife. The officers announced their presence and tried to enter the house, but the door was locked. Thomas called out, quote, This is holy ground, end quote, and then set down the knife and unlocked the door. Thomas was calm until the officers tried to arrest him, and then he started to resist. As they wrestled with the large ex-rugby player, he kept yelling, quote, I am God, I'll do it again, put a bullet in my head, end quote. Thomas was cuffed and put in the back of a police cruiser while other officers were inside the house tending to Lynn's wounds. Officers checked on Dr. Chan first and couldn't find a pulse, so they moved to Lynn, who was still conscious but bleeding profusely from the wound in her neck. Rosalia arrived back at the Chan house to see officers putting Thomas in the back of the cruiser. She asked if anyone had been hurt, and the officer chose not to tell her about the scene inside the house. Instead, he took her and Christina to the police station for questioning. 
Lynn was rushed to the hospital where she survived her injuries but lost her right eye. She spent 10 weeks in the hospital and left with lifelong impairments that would leave her unable to work. Thomas was taken to the police station covered in blood to have his clothes collected and to be processed for evidence. During the ride, he kept saying random stuff, and he apparently kept talking about someone named Laura. The detective asked him about that. Yeah, Laura. I do, I do remember in the police, police car and all that. Right. I was just saying anything to get out of the police car because I thought that I... This is where it starts to get crazy because like, this is where I started like coming down a little bit okay. off the shrooms. Mm-hmm. So this is where like I was still tripping right. pretty heavily, but I can remember things. I remember... I don't remember how I got in the police car. Okay. I remember being that I was in the police car. And then I closed my eyes. Okay. And I felt jostling and all this, and I was meditating again. Mm -hmm. Which I think that's like where I went wrong when I really started to get into my head and like really let things run. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was in the dark and I would just sit there and feel some jostling. And then when I got here, I thought that everything was white, and I thought I was in heaven. Mm-hmm. I literally was music playing when I was here. Is there music in? There could have been music playing in the vehicles. I mean, I they have radios. I, oh, I heard, I heard like, like gospel choir music. So I really emphasized like right. the feeling of being in heaven. Right, and then. The officers were saying, saying, um, um, you'll know, you'll know when you're able to get out. So I was like, oh, I'll know. So I'll know. And then their, their faces were also changing between normal and friendly. And, and like, dark and and I remember their faces would get veiny and I would and depending on like what I said to them their faces would become more normal and that's why I started saying all the random stuff because I just wanted their faces to become normal again she asks him exactly what random stuff he said I was like saying names of people who and and like what I thought they wanted to hear. What you thought who wanted to hear? The officers. What did to you let me out of the okay. car. What did you think they wanted to hear? Like what they wanted to hear was anything. I don't know what they wanted to hear, so I was really testing out anything. Right. Do you remember what kind of things you're saying? Yeah, I remember what I said. What'd you say? I remember Laura, who is she, my love? I said that. And I was just testing out things to say because I wanted to get out of the car and be in heaven because I thought that I had escaped from the devil. 
and I was in a bright white place hearing like this this oh gospel music like that and I thought I was just and they were saying you'll know when you're ready to come out and I was like oh so I'll know so I just would sit in there eyes closed every now and then saying whatever they want me to say and I was just did you feel better when you got here because you thought you were in heaven yes I felt safe when I got here After Thomas had been taken to the station and processed, an officer was assigned to drive him to the hospital to check for injuries. The officer testified that Thomas was calm and quiet during most of the ride, since he had come down from his trip by then. The officer told Thomas that there was a recording device in the car and he didn't have to speak. The recording was played in court, where Thomas can be heard telling the officer that he has had several concussions and struggled with depression. He also told him that he had had extensive drug use in the past, including MDMA and cocaine, along with the frequent marijuana use. He talked about concussions and depression during his interview. It's just chemical imbalance in my brain, causing depression. When did that all start? Um, Probably grade 11. Grade 11 was when... I had my last concussion that sent me over the edge, and I had a chemical imbalance, and I went through some serious depression, I had suicidal thoughts, and all that. I saw a counselor for a while. The counselor helped, but it didn't at the same time. Because counselors, if you're smart, if you're a smart enough person, you start saying stuff that you know they want you to hear. They want you to hear, and you don't really know if you're okay after that, or if you're just putting on. A face. So I don't really know if I was okay after that. But then this year I, I started feeling anxiety and depression at school. But when I put the weeks leading up to coming home, I started feeling a lot better. And I stopped smoking weed. And I did all this stuff, great things. And I was had a whole new drive. And then this happened. The worst possible thing happened. So you were feeling better in the last few weeks, no weeks yeah. leading up to the nineteenth making. Yeah, anyone can tell you that. Anyone could have seen it. Yeah. He does make one profound statement during his interview with the detective. I was scared by cats and comforted by dogs. Last night? You were scared by cats and comforted by dogs. I I just remember that feeling. I don't know exactly like what that means or anything. I just remember that feeling of being comforted by dogs and scared by cats. Did your dad have a cat or a dog? Yeah, he's a cat. Do you remember if he saw the cat? No. I don't know. I just remember being scared by cats. So I'm assuming I saw her at some point. That does make total sense, since cats are evil and dogs are just the best. Thomas Chan was initially charged with first-degree murder and attempted murder, but he was eventually dropped to second-degree murder and attempted murder. At trial, Thomas's defense was based on the fact that he was under the influence and wasn't responsible for his actions. The prosecution would argue that he took the drug willingly and was responsible for what he did while intoxicated. The defense claimed that his previous concussions had altered his brain chemistry, making it impossible for Thomas to predict how the drug would affect him. I'm an advocate for the legalization of some drugs, including marijuana and mushrooms. I don't have a problem with drugs that are naturally occurring in plants and have not shown strong evidence of addiction and don't cause overdoses. 
I don't think those drugs should be banned while alcohol and cigarettes are legal. I am, however, a big supporter of personal responsibility. If you get drunk and kill someone in a car accident, you have to suffer those consequences. You can't go to court and say, I was blackout drunk, I wasn't responsible for my actions. I think the same thing applies to the effects of psilocybin. You chose to do something that was going to alter your state of mind. You need to take responsibility for what you do in that altered state. The fact that the concussions could have made the effects of the drug more unpredictable is just more proof that you need to think before taking drugs. Nobody can predict how a drug is going to affect them. Some people have 15 good trips, but the 16th time they drop acid, bad trip. You might always be a happy drunk, but one day you might get drunk and go on an angry rampage. When you alter your mind, you have to take accountability for whatever type of person you become while in that state. There was conflicting testimony on whether or not the concussions would have affected the trip he had while taking the mushrooms. He admitted to having taken mushrooms a few months prior, still after having his last concussion, where he had a good trip. Thomas's defense didn't even matter, though, because of Canadian Criminal Code Section 33.1. It reads, It is not a defense to an offense referred to in subsection 3 that the accused, by reason of self-induced intoxication, lacked the general intent or the voluntariness required to commit the offense where the accused departed markedly from the standard of care as described in subsection 2. The offense they talk about in subsection 3 is an offense under this act or any other act of parliament that includes as an element of assault or any other inference or threat of interference by a person with the bodily integrity of another person. So basically any physical attack, be it assault, rape, or murder. They also mention that the accused departed from the standard of care described in subsection 2, which means they, in a state of self-induced intoxication that renders the person unaware of, or incapable of consciously controlling, their behavior, voluntary or involuntary, interferes or threatens to interfere with the bodily integrity of another person. This criminal code was put in place because of a man named Henry Davialt, in 1989, 73-year-old Henry drank at least seven beers at a bar before going home and finding a nearly full 40-ounce bottle of brandy, which he polished off as well. Later that night, a 65-year-old woman who required a wheelchair who was also in the house got up to use the restroom. She was attacked by Henry and he ended up raping her and was subsequently arrested and charged for the crime. At the trial, Henry claimed that he wasn't responsible for his actions because he was so drunk that he didn't know what he was doing. An expert in pharmacology testified that having drunk as much as he did, there was little chance that he could have functioned normally or been aware of his actions. The judge determined that Henry was unable to form general intent, and the man was acquitted. Yay, now you can all get away with any crime as long as you're drunk when you do it. Well, the Quebec Court of Appeals overturned the acquittal, claiming that intoxication cannot negate mens rea. Mens rea is a Latin word meaning guilty mind, and is a fancy word for intent. It has four levels of intent, which are purpose, knowledge, recklessness, and negligence. Purpose means a person acts purposefully if he acts with the intent that his actions cause a certain result. In other words, the defendant undertakes his action either with intent for or hoping that a certain result will follow. Knowledge means 
A person acts knowingly if he is aware that his conduct will result in certain consequences. In other words, a person acts knowingly if he is aware that it is practically certain that his conduct will cause a specific result. Recklessness means a person acts recklessly if he is aware of the substantial risk that a certain result will occur as the result of his actions. The risk must be substantial enough that the action represents a gross deviation from what a reasonably law-abiding person would do. Negligence means a person acts negligently if they should have been aware of a substantial and unjustifiable risk that a certain consequence would result from their actions. The actor is not aware of the risks, but should have known what those risks were. Henry's acquittal was overturned and a new trial was ordered. Henry used the same defense and was once again acquitted of the charges. This prompted lawmakers to draft a new bill, Section 33.1, that barred people from using excessive intoxication as a defense for a serious crime. Thomas Chan was found guilty of manslaughter and aggravated assault and sentenced to the minimum sentence of five years for the crimes. The decision was appealed and the Ontario Court of Appeals set aside Thomas's conviction and granted him a new trial after determining that Section 33.1 was unconstitutional. The decision all boils down to a matter of automatism. Automatism is the performance of actions without conscious thought or intention. It's the fine line between being intoxicated and being so intoxicated that you're no longer responsible for your actions. Since the trials of Henry Davialt, experts have said that they don't believe that the drunk man was in a state of automatism. He was blacked out, which is not the same thing. Other people have successfully been acquitted of crimes due to some form of automatism. In 1858, Esther Griggs threw her baby out of a first-floor window onto the street where the baby died. She did it while sleepwalking during a nightmare where she believed the building was on fire. When police arrived, they heard her screaming, quote, Save my children, end quote, and they saw a three-year-old and a five-year-old in the bed. They assured her that her children were fine, and then she started asking for her baby before realizing that she must have thrown it out the window. The window had not been opened. The baby was thrown through the glass. Due to being asleep at the time of the incident, she was found not guilty of a crime. In 1983, Toronto man Kenneth Parks drove about 12 and a half miles or 20 kilometers to his in-law's house and attacked them. He bludgeoned his mother-in-law to death with a tire iron and tried to choke his father-in-law but was unsuccessful. He then drove to a police station and confessed that he thought he killed two people. He had a good relationship with his in-laws and investigators were unable to find any motive for the attack. Kenneth was also found not guilty due to being asleep at the time of the incident. Many people believe that drug or alcohol-induced blackouts are not the same. It's one thing to commit a crime when you're in a mental state that you have no control over, such as sleepwalking or having a schizophrenic episode. But what about when you choose to put yourself into that state? If you choose to drink so much that you black out and hurt or kill your child, should you be excused from the responsibility because you chose to get blackout drunk? If tomorrow I decide to drop acid, I freak out and kill my wife, should I be excused from responsibility for my crime because I was tripping?
Dr. James Maricongas wrote in 2004 that alcoholic blackouts are states of absences of mind that should be recognized by the law as exculpatory in cases in which they are the unanticipated result of social drinking, when intoxication was neither desired nor expected. That seems reasonable, but if you choose to get out of your mind on drugs or blackout drunk, you should be held accountable for the actions you take when in that state. Thomas Chan and his family don't believe that to be true. Thomas is out on bail awaiting his new trial and has been fighting to be acquitted for his crime for longer than he would have been in prison for killing his father and nearly killing Lynn. It's crazy to me that a young man can go into his father's house, stab him to death, attempt to kill his father's girlfriend, and then think, I shouldn't be punished for that. It was the shrooms I took. Lynn Wittavine ended up filing a lawsuit against Thomas and his mother, Rosalia. She had originally filed paperwork to find out if she had a stake in Dr. Chan's estate, but found out that everything would go to Christina and Thomas, the man who killed him. Thomas would be able to collect half of his father's estate if his conviction was overturned and he got acquitted in his retrial. Since Thomas's actions created a mountain of medical bills for Lynn and left her unable to work, she sued him for assault and Rosalia for negligence. The original lawsuit was for $3.95 million and would include parts of Dr. Chan's life insurance, bank accounts, and proceeds of the sale of the house the couple lived in together. In May of 2020, the parties settled the case out of court for an undisclosed amount. I've seen it rumored that the settlement included an agreement that Thomas couldn't receive any part of his father's estate, but I don't know if that's accurate. Thomas Chan is still awaiting for his retrial to begin. If he's found guilty, he will most likely get the minimum sentence again. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233, or go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. The great thing about this website is that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will instantly take your browser to a Google search page. In the event the abuser is nearby, you can assure that you don't get caught trying to get help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility, call 911, or call Mental Health America, who operate the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure that you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, the easiest way is to donate a few bucks at Buy Me A Coffee or check out some of our merchandise at Teespring. You can find information on how to do that along with links to our social media at thisismonsters.com. Thanks again. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So, what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So, even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. 
Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. Life's full of things we can't depend on. Like the Irish weather, predictably unpredictable. When you're cutting it fine, but the tractor in front is out for the day. No winner of this week's you-know-what. So much for Lucky 7. But some things you can depend on. Like in home heating. Emo, Jones Oil and Campus Oil are now Certa, Delivering the same warmth to your home now and into the future. For home heating you can depend on, see CertaIreland.ie. No. Good boy. Keep your hat on, pet. Why? We're playing dinner at the North Pole, remember? So we need to wear our big warm coats inside. When it comes to food or heat, many families will face impossible choices this Christmas. Please support the St. Vincent de Paul Annual Appeal. Donate locally or at svp.ie. Thank you. Shrink your Christmas bill at Dunn Stores. Delicious free-range 4-kilo Irish turkeys are just $39.99. And incredible unsmoked centre-cut Irish ham is now just $13.59 for 2.75 kilos. That's 20% off. King prawn cocktail and oak and peat cold smoked salmon are just six euro. Plus, with our 10 or 50 grocery voucher, you save even more. Dunn Stores make Christmas for everyone. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used to next grocery shop of 50 euro or more. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.